0: That time. No, that's right. If you are tuned in, then you have made the conscious decision to become undeniable in your pursuit of personal, professional, and spiritual excellence. Now, I hope you are pursuing excellence in your life, but if you are not making an impact with that life, then you have come to the right place today. Welcome to this empowering episode of Become Undeniable. I am your new favorite host, Brad Austin. Killing it on the mic end as always. Keeping it real no matter whose feelings it hurts. While providing undeniable value to you every step of the way. Now today we are continuing uh, a conversation with my brother Mike Wilson. It's an important conversation that we are having Um, So stay tuned in. Mike is the professor of psychology at Western Oregon University, and he is back with us for part two. We didn't have enough time to get into everything we wanted to get into on part one. So Mike is back and I appreciate you being here, Mike. How are you, sir?
1: I am doing absolutely fantastic, all things considered, you know, just <laughs> even just leave, even listening to the intro to the show, I'm already jazzed up. There's, there's so much motivation in that message and in that introduction. So I, I can see, I can see uh, now that you're getting used to this, you're becoming, you know, I think you're getting a little too good at it. You're going to be gonna, absolutely, absolutely, man. It says a man. lot about uh, the work you put in to be able to uh, speak I think to to the people and your listeners and getting them engaged and interested i'm 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 all set. i I would listen to this own podcast if I could right now
0: that is man you're too kind bro that's really that's really nice of you and and you know man I just had an idea maybe like I should start a business right if you're depressed pay me like a hundred bucks for five minutes come on the quote unquote show for five minutes let me do my intro and and then get jazzed and go go about your day, man. Get some stuff done. You well, know,
1: I, I can I can tell you one of the first places to to look at the Pacific Northwest between the <laughs> months between the months of December and April. I think you'd make a killing.
0: Oh man, and I don't have to be there to do it. That's the <laughs> best part. I can stay in sunny South Florida, be happy, and bring everybody else joy up there. You know what I mean.
1: <laughs> that's, that's right. Well, you know, and to be honest, to be honest, uh, after having lived in a couple of different places myself, you know, the the weather, the the dark skies, the overcast skies, and the lack of sunlight for weeks on end, potentially even months on end out here, really, really affected me. I think um, as a young person, and so I mm-hmm. definitely can can relate to people that need a little bit more motivation and and perspective on the day to day during this time of the year, but then I take into consideration that there are much more difficult places to live. So in that light, I'm, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty neat. It's pretty safe. It's pretty, it's pretty beautiful. And, um, you know, I think as long as you've got the appropriate gear, and as I always say, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad gear. So I think that being said, you know, it's ideal to get on wherever you are in life, but Hey, some people, yeah, need a little extra kick. So that's good.
0: (laughs) Again, I am here. I'm not just a podcast host. I'm not just a tech entrepreneur. I'm not just any of that things. I am an uplifter. So, again, ninety nine bucks, best five minutes you'll ever spend. Come on, I'll put it in the show notes. You can just set a, set up a call.
1: <laughs> put it on, yeah. Put it on the Google Calendar. Right? Just start, just, it might just, work. I don't know. Just square out a chunk of time on a Friday afternoon and see who calls.
0: Oh man, that's great. That's great. Oh man. So here, you know. Now I got to shift to something a little more depressing. I don't want to do it, but I got to do it because I got to ask you, um, man, I got it. Why do you, I don't know, bro? Like, again, you're a professor of psychology. You should be able to help me with this. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, and this is just impromptu question, man. I'm I'm curious about like, why? Why do I guess why are people still engaging in the practice of? putting their fellow man into these freaking fabricated boxes by way of assumptions, you know, that they make within their own minds. You know what I mean? It's like, and I'll tell you before you answer why, why I say that. And so, you know, we, before we got on, we were talking about this platform that I'm using to build my team on my tech startup. Right. And they have you fill out your profile and all that kind of stuff. You create a video, and it's the first introduction to you and your company and all that stuff. And people watch it. And so I did that. You know, I've gotten a lot of compliments from a lot of people, man. That's a great video. I, I want to talk to you, blah, blah, blah. Right. They're, they're doing that. And so this backdrop right here is the same backdrop I use no matter who I talk to. All right. Whether it's a pod show, whether it's a, a business meeting, I just this is what I use. OK. And so I got this guy who, who was applying to be a CTO for my company. Right. And he applied and everything else. And then I think he wished he wouldn't have because he, he watched the video. Okay. And then he hits me up on LinkedIn and he says, um, and, and I'm not going to say his name because, you know, he's probably a miserable person, but he say he says, Hey Brad, you know, I applied for that. And I said, he said, but then I watched the video and, um, he said, it just reminds me of, of, uh, what did he say? He just rem- it reminds me of this and insurrection and this and that and the other. And he went all political for no reason. And then he said, until Trump is in jail, blah, 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 blah. I saw, I saw the cross and the American flag. And I just, I want no part of that. And I'm like, I didn't even respond to this guy even to this day. But then I thought to myself, I said, after all I said in that video, that's what you come back with. Like, You did not even hear what I said, bro. You don't even know about the impact I'm trying to make. And I'm looking around, Mike, I'm looking around. I'm like, where the hell is the Trump flag? I don't see it. (laughs) So I'm just like, all right. The backdrop did its job and it weeded somebody out that I would never want near me or my company or my family. Right. So, bro, why do people still put People in these boxes, man, just because they see an object or they see this or that, or you know what I mean? And just make assumptions about it, man. Why do they do that still?
1: Well, there's about a thousand different directions that we can go with. Well <laughs> we have
0: limited time, brother. <laughs> that is that is a very, I mean hey,
1: session three, podcast number three. No. Oh. Um, no, this might be a, this might have to be a season long um, discussion. It. <laughs> it's, I think you bring up I think you bring up a, a situation and an experience that a lot of people can relate to right now especially uh, in a social climate that is um, hyper divided and um, a lot of the information and um, you know events that we're observing are highly charged emotionally charged um, a lot of things can be taken out of context a lot of things can be misconstrued um, a lot of you know a lot of what people say can be taken advantage of as well and misinterpreted So, you know, the first thing that one of the first things that comes to my mind is that, you know, we do this thing in our culture, especially American culture, Western Hemisphere culture of virtue signaling. Mm. Now, virtue signaling is, is, is just as it sounds, but it can be very practical in terms of whatever um, aesthetics you incorporate in your life. So, for example, you, re- you referred to your backdrop here in this scenario. You know, you've got the, those icons there and everything like that. So just from the association that uh, someone could have with those exact icons and those virtues that you're signaling, based on their self referenced perspective of life um, which can be attributed to their um, upbringing it can be attributed to their community um, uh, behaviors and normative um, behaviors and values it could be attributed to their education and what they were exposed to um, in their higher learning and things like that so depending on who the person is They're all going to have a distinct um, or a unique perspective on what those um, virtues that you are signaling represent for them. So it really comes down to, on a lot of levels, the lack of conversation that we're able to have as fellow citizens on whatever side of the party line you are um, to be more understanding um, of why people believe in what they believe in. And this is one of the, I think, one of the greatest characteristics and greatest qualities of this country, despite the problems I have with it personally, in that it is the most progressive democratic nation in the world. No one comes close to the amount of freedoms and liberties that we have.
0: That's right. Um,
1: and so that being said, though, that being said, and, and how we how we keep coming to these junctions of co- of, of contention and controversy it's going to take a lot of patience and a lot of understanding and people willing to be able to be uncomfortable and be vulnerable. um, Because at the end of the day, you have to be able to defend your ideology. You have to be able to defend um, your your stance on whatever subject with sound science. And, you know, part of being being in a scientific field and, and being a researcher is you have to have this quality of skepticism and essentially what skepticism is in this in a scientific context is not believing anything until there is substantial evidence to support it and what happens is a lot of a lot of us become armchair psychologists and we um we have this bias a personal bias that we always fall prey to that um, whatever we believe we look for evidence to support what we believe and then when there is evidence that contradicts our belief we just ignore it we suppress it <laughs> so it's this crazy it's this is crazy phenomena we have as human beings and really really if i could encapsulate the whole context of this is it's in the effort of self-preservation and mm. self-preservation can it can absolutely be misguided one one because we live in these advanced societies um, where we have this overload of information and stimuli where mm-hmm. we still are not in a in a functional place to interpret all of that in a healthy and factual um, way so the fact that you know you can watch the news you can get whatever notifications on your phone and draw your own conclusions without being an expert in the field um, so if that makes sense, In in the light of self-preservation, you're protecting your reality. And sometimes it comes out as, you know, saying, um, you know, judging people fundamentally and attributing what they see on a fundamental level to generalize the entire person's essence and and who they are um, as a person, which is, you know, something that we all fall victim to as well, is we see we observe somebody else and we listen to another human being and we take what they say or what they do as a, as a wholesale explanation or identity of who that person is. And Mm. within each, you know, if you're going to go politically, which within each and every party, there's varying degrees of what that looks like. Um, And so, yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's tough to, have people come at you like that. I get it. I, I deal with that in different ways in my life as yeah. well. i um, being a black man in the United States of America. But all to say is, you know, that stems from the, the ignorance um, that we have. And it's not an ignorance, I don't think that people intentionally are pursuing or want to um, realize, but it just comes from the fact that our model of education and what we value um, as a community and as a nation isn't necessarily the factual truth we want to believe right. what make what supports our own individual philosophy in life and we're mm-hmm. always gonna you know again i mentioned this a minute ago about being biased Is we're always going to look for evidence to support our biases our biases and Again, when we encounter evidence that is contrary, that contradicts our philosophy, we just ignore it. So it's a it's a level of self awareness, it's a level of self actualization that generally across the board, I think our nation is suffering from.
0: Yeah, no, man, you're right because i I will admit I've done that exact thing before, and then I became conscious of it. So I there if there I don't even know what it was. There's many things, but you're right. We we look at it. And then we see something else from a place we consider a reliable source that contradicts our ideology or what we wanted to believe. And then we just pretend like we didn't see it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Instead of now I'm to the point where it's I see it and then it's like, OK, well, now I have to deal with that. Right. Yeah, I have you've to internalize it now. I got it. Oh, that's right. I got to deal with that. And I have to be okay with it because, <laughs> because it matters. And then it, it contributes to my integrity, right? It, it determines whether or not I am going to be someone that people can look at and say, even when he's wrong, he's okay being wrong. He's a, he's going to admit it. It's okay. And we, man, if there is, tell me if you agree, but if there is one thing There, if there is a real epidemic in society today that is absolutely prevalent, is the fact that no one wants to take ownership, no one wants to be wrong, right?
1: No one wants
0: to believe they got duped, all right? And if you can, if you can look at it, accept it, you are much more likely not to get duped again.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, the, the way the way if you if you want to take a few steps back and look at the big picture of of behavior and where behavior is generated from and how behavior is modified and shaped. If you look at the brain and how the brain evolved, how our how our homo sapien brain evolved uh, and also as well extend that to the brain structures and why the brain is structured in the way in which it is. Um for human beings, for Homo sapiens, for our species, our brain, our brain—that lovely chunk of you know gray, gooey <laughs> stuff in the middle of your brain, up in your head there—it's design is to live and create the most efficient life and existence possible. Mm. So, what does that mean? what that means is that our brain loves habit and mm. through developing habit, it makes function more automated and takes less energy. And that also plays into terms of, for example, you know, the energy comes from what it comes from the, um, use of calories and energy. Right. Mm. So, so it all, it, it, it's pointing at the survival, survivability of the brain. Okay. So why that matters in this context and why I'm bringing up the history of the brain is because if our brain is designed to use the least amount of effort for the most amount of gain, okay, why would that impact our society and the way we have these conversations and how we share these ideas? Because to change one's ideology, to change one's philosophy requires work and effort. And so I, I have this translation a lot with my athletes that I work with is that, you know, to, to build a habit, you're actually, fi- you're just fighting your own brain. You're just fighting your own brain. It's got nothing to do with your, you know, mm-hmm. who you are as a human being. It has to do with the materialism that we're confined by um, and, and the materialism that generates our reality. So if you want to think of it this way, I'll, I'll give you an illustration is let's say you're walking out in a field, right, of tall grass and there's no path. So the first time you walk through there, right, it's a little bit difficult. You can't see the ground. It's uneven. You're, you know, maybe the the grass is scratching your leg and all that stuff, and there's no direction, right? However, if you were to continually walk through that path over and over and over and over again, there will come a time when all the grass is laying flat. There's no obstructions in your way, and you can actually even move more expediently. Because there's nothing obstructing your way, and you can see the path clearly laid out before you. That's the same way our brain generates habits, is the connection between neurons at the very beginning is what you could say looks like a strand of hair. But through repetition and repetition and repetition, Mm -hmm. it becomes as thick as a cable. That that means that 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 habit now has less conscious effort being used to do it or to perform it. This is what happens in in our sociology as as a civilization is to be able to grow requires effort to be able to change requires effort and our natural state of homo of, of homo sapiens our homeostasis does not want that <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so right. this, is, this is how we see it in a in an observable way of what is going on in the brain and unfortunately you know yeah you mentioned that it's an epidemic and and i would agree with that um in a in a psychological way is that there's an epidemic with our lack of education here you know mm-hmm. our our educational institutions do not stimulate or cultivate critical thinking or abstract thinking by that's design right. by design our educational yes. institutions want you to give the answer that is that's the answer that they're looking for and to have as little uh, autonomous and agency over what it is that you're actually learning and how it's being applied to your life. So, um, you know, I run, into this, I run into this with my students here at the university because they come from those educational sy- sy- uh, systems that don't um, encourage or promote or facilitate um, individual thinking and, and critical analysis, introspection. Um, um, you know, and, and, and uh, reflecting on who you are as a human being and, um, uh, you know, what that means for you in your, in your personal life and how you interact with your fellow, with your fellow man.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boy, when you, <laughs> no wonder <laughs> social media has just exacerbated mm. the problem you just spoke of. Mm-hmm. It has just, I mean, to, to a degree that we don't have time to explore. It it just, right. It's just amazing. Um, So one thing you said earlier, man, and then we actually have to move on to the topics we wanted to talk about today, Um, (laughs) but, but I'm having fun learning some things. I, first of all, I do want to tell you that um, I actually, I actually appreciate that you are incorporating with your students the the ability of learning how to think critically, right? I appreciate that you are including that in your curriculum because it might even be the first time for most of them to encounter that. So I, I really appreciate you doing that, man. Don't stop doing that. Whatever. You
1: yeah. Are. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's, if you, if you look at the age of which our youth are being educated and how that correlates to the matter and um, the course content, The brain is like a sponge in those early childhood years up to the late teens. So if you can saturate that mind with a particular way of thinking and processing, it's going to take a long time to undo that. That's Mm -hmm. why you see people as, as adults. And again, this is more of a blanket statement, but that's why you see adults in their late 30s, early 40s have some of that midlife crisis type of a deal. Um, there's other factors that play into it, but it comes to now having been exposed to the world in a, many different ways for a longer period of time, it starts to challenge that conventional way of thinking. So when I speak with my students that are, you know, they're, they're just, some of them have just graduated high school and all of that. So I have anywhere from an 18-year-old to a 22-year-old in my, in my classes. And what I tell them all from the very beginning, from the onset of the course, is that you are going to have to think about why you think the way you do. <laughs> You're going to be challenged to look at your own ideologies and your own thought processes um, and your own justifications for the way you are um, and how that re- you know, is revealed in terms of buying power, um, spending habits, um, and economy to politics and everything. So, yeah, there's mm-hmm. a specific reason why that happens at that level of education and why it's targeted in that way. And I I tell people all the time, uh, you know, watching watching water come out of a faucet is actually more beneficial than any social media. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's it's actually more beneficial, oddly enough. I'm just saying that, but it's the idea of what you talked about is, you know, social media has exacerbated it and um, has been a detriment in the degradation and the corrosion of our morality and virtue in in a very Mm, I'm hoping reconcilable way but <laughs> I want to say irreconcilable mm. so
0: yeah yeah man I, I, i'm I'm generally someone who likes to look at the bright side the positive side the hopeful side of things but I don't know <laughs> I'm not sure either Mike I, I don't tell you but let's get into let's get into these um Tougher conversations that we've talked about that we got to get into, man. Because I, I'm, I'm excited to explore different avenues here with you on this. Um, so, in our last, um, in our previous dis- discussion, our last episode, we, we started discussing the state of uh, modern Black culture in American society, right? So, let's start off by having you give us your take on how you see the state of, of black culture in America today.
1: That, that is as wide of a topic as possible. Thank you. (laughs) I love it. I I love it because we're going to tackle this from a lot of different directions. And the first, the first place that I want to tackle it from is from the socioeconomic perspective. Mm -hmm. Good place to start. Very good places to start, and, yeah. and it's kind of a, a topic at the forefront of at least my reality and lived experience right now because you know the, this is the end of the week of the celebration of our uncrowned king, and I'll I'll explain why he's our uncrowned king, uh, Martin Luther mm-hmm. King Jr. Uh, his mm-hmm. birthday was earlier this week, so there has yep. been a lot of celebration and recognition um, of his legacy of what he was able to accomplish. Um, not just by himself, but, you know, as the leader of the movement, the civil rights movement. Um, one of the things that comes to the forefront of my mind as I just gave a, a speech to the university the other night is when we talk about economic justice, when we talk about equity um, in economy, one of the things that Martin Luther King Jr. had proposed, um, actually, this this happened the same year that he was assassinated, and in the last speech he gave to the um, uh, laborers and uh, uh, factory workers in Memphis, Tennessee, on his last speech, the, the eve of his assassination, was the idea of this poor people's campaign that had some traction, but was never fully realized because it was his idea, it was it was his project, it was his movement. So without the head, you know, the, the body can't move. So. The reason why I bring that up specifically is because he had this idea of the poor people's campaign in which he was advocating for uh, economic justice across the board meaning all poor black, all poor white, all all poor yellow, all poor red, green, blue, magenta, periwinkle, whatever gray, <laughs> whatever but the idea was that it was it was a a movement that was going to bring economic equality to everybody. That's the real point. And and in doing that, he shared a figure that stands out um, that stands out in particular. And that was at that time, the black community alone had a spending power of about three billion dollars, three billion dollars or cl- close to that. And the reason why that is significant is because our spending power at that time in the mid to late sixties was more than most than a handful of countries, national budgets of national countries, budgets. So Mm -hmm. what, what the point of this is, is that economic withdrawal was going to be a tool of nonviolent protest in order to, uh, get our, our equal rights in economy. Um, and, and, um, Bringing that to today, the Black community's spending power now is 1.6 trillion. Meaning, if we as a community were able to mobilize and strategize about where and how that would look to have an economic withdrawal to highlight and to demand um, equal opportunity, um, whether that's from getting bank loans to um, being hired for certain. uh, jobs of, of labor, um, what would that look like for us? Because there is a, a history and a legacy to where we are today that, that you know, here it comes down to how um, the Emancipation Proclamation uh, was never fully realized and what opportunities were missed with, for example, the Freedmen's Bureau um, in their opportunities to integrate the slave, a freed slave, into not just the Southern economy, but the national economy of the United States. So think about it this way. At the moment of the Emancipation Proclamation, at the moment of the end of the Civil War, you received an entire community of peoples that had no literacy or very very little literacy, so mm-hmm. couldn't read or write, all right? Mm-hmm. You had a community that had no savings, Mm -hmm. no money to their name you Mm -hmm. had a community that um maybe spoke the the english language brokenly or some maybe had more of a proficiency for it but there was a language barrier you're also talking about a cultural barrier you're also talking about um and this is this is something that people really overlook in terms of the emotional trauma of this all being freed into the same society in which you had been enslaved so now you're sharing these spaces with people that violently um, uh, violated you, or if not you, your family, or if not your family, people that you knew, or or people in your in your heritage, and your lineage. So that traumatic uh, um, event, as well, that fed into um, what became, you know, Jim Crow. And if we look at it today, we are a disinherited community. Of, a, of generations of Black people that never had a chance to earn any any um, equity, any to develop any um, equity, to to develop any personal wealth whatsoever. No houses, no property, no land, no no anything. Okay, so f- starting not only from the bottom uh, economically, but starting from the bottom socially. You know, we had no standing; we couldn't even vote until you know many many years after. The Emancipation Proclamation had already been installed. So, why that matters to today is because we are still living in the heritage of that time in US history. So, you know, when you look at what the job market looks like right now and the equality there, my role as a professor at a university, at a higher education institution, I am within the, I believe it was about 6.5% the last time I looked. Of full-time faculty, black professors in the United States, six percent, six percent of full-time faculty in the United States are black. Okay. In addition, in addition, I am one of two people of color uh, faculty of the entire university. Taking that into consideration, the the subtext with that is that there is a intentional. There's an intentional and systematic culture, even at the higher education um, level, that is disproportionate. So it's not that there aren't opportunities, it's just that the the opportunities are disproportionately allotted to one color of skin than the other. So when you talk about the youth of today and the state of of black thought, is that we still are trying to reconcile these fundamental differences and these fundamental um, uh, issues within our own American society. Now again, that's not to say that there are success stories and all of that, but those are those are the exceptions, not the rule. Absolutely not the rule. And you know, one of the things I I was talking about with my students uh, at our at our event we had earlier this week among the black student body here is this idea of of one chance, one opportunity, and the way that I first came across this idea or this this axiom, I guess you could say is that for a person of color you have one chance to get something right and if you fail which people are waiting for you to fail that then um uh is is received as a attribute to who you are which is only feeding into the confirmation bias of of the white community you know so what i mean by that is let's say let's say you get a job um, Working at a at a restaurant, just just to say, you get out job working at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. You make an error. You make an error. Whatever that error is, you're more likely to be dismissed from that job than your counterparts. Or to make the, if your counterpart was to make the same error, so there's this added stretch, this this added pressure to people of color when they enter whatever um, uh, workforce that they know if they make a mistake. That they are more likely to be dismissed than their counterpart now what does that do for stress and putting someone in a very stressful uh, situation well that also affects the um the intentionality and the motivation to go for higher paying jobs or or uh, more competitive jobs because the likelihood of even receiving them is a lot less so that means you're staying now within economic bracket of minimum wage at best minimum wage and uh, you may be supporting yourself by by um occupying a couple of different jobs but you are working the disadvantaged are working twice as hard for half the pay and so that right now is is um it's coming to i would like to think a a precipice of um, you know, something is, something's gotta be done, um, you know, collectively, um, as a group and as a community across the U S. And so when we talk about things like economic withdrawal and the positions that many, um, not, not just black, but people of color hold in the U S are integral to the, to the structure of the economy and to our institutions. So if we were to pull our spending, um, and demand um, equal equal rights, equal pay, uh, what would that look like? And so, you know, for us as a community, we got to realize that individually, we may not be the wealthiest people on the planet, but collectively, we have a lot of power. That's a lot of power. Um, so, what and, you know, a word that people might use is boycott instead of economic withdrawal. But, um, you know, this is something that, we we need these issues to be looked at. We need these issues of employment to be looked at. We need these opportunities for equality and economy to be looked at. We need um, the justice in our pay, um, our wages to be looked at, and the opportunities that were afforded. So that's just one aspect on the economic side. Um, do you have any? Do you have any uh, questions or feedback you want to throw in there?
0: Yeah, I want to interject on something real quick. Um, so. So here's the, here's the thing when, man, it's, it's just amazing. So when I hear terms like fill in the blank justice, right? You talked about economic justice, you talked, and that is a term that is used by politicians to to stir up angst and to, to get people riled up among many other terms. Cause, and and that's, and that's why I had that reaction within myself that I'm telling you about now when you said it. And so what I'm going to do is like, when I hear those terms, climate justice, what the hell is climate justice? I, I don't understand that. I, I don't even want to get into that in this one. <laughs> we can talk about later, but what, what is that? I don't know, but when when you say economic justice i kind of side on the inside mike to be honest with you and so rather than fall into what we talked about earlier mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i'm going to hit you head on and say help me understand help define what economic justice is because i don't think your definition is going to match the agenda driven definition Mm. That they would use. Right. Mm. So help me understand what that is. What exactly is that economic justice
1: well as, as as plainly as I can put it is economic justice is the set the set of moral and also ethical principles for building economic institutions. OK, so what that means additionally is economic justice um aims to create opportunities for every person to have a dignified um to have a productive and a we'll say creative life um that extends beyond just simple economics so um you know let's just say if we were to line up everybody um from top to bottom um, in the united states of america there are people on that in that line on that ladder that never even have a chance at participating in the in the um, I mean I can say luxury of the United States economy because there is so much available for us compared to um, let's say developing nations or other other countries around the world. So the life the quality of life that the let's say middle to upper class and definitely upper class get to enjoy and participate in, is a lot of ways de facto of their wealth which is you know if we look at the heritage and the sure. the lineage of where that wealth came from um it right. goes back generations yeah so it's generational has, it's generational yeah. right and so yeah. that's what we talk about economic justice is giving that same opportunity to the lowest of the low that would never have a chance like you know, living in poverty, it's really difficult to have a good credit, and you can't get a loan without a really good credit. <laughs> and so, it's just like that's a very practical example of what equity in in um, economics looks like.
0: So, how do you propose? How do how do you propose? How do you? I mean, what's the solution for that? If if I mean, none of us can help who we're born to. None of us <clears throat> can help where we are born. What circumstances we are born into. We can't help that, right? <clears throat> and, and we all know that. But let's take that person you just spoke of who Mm -hmm. is who is poor and who lives in a bad neighborhood or whatever the case may be. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean. Even. Even in this, I mean, I guess I'm curious as to solutions, because, you know, maybe their parents aren't very educated. Right. Mm -hmm. Most likely. Mm -hmm. And so it's not passed down versus the Rockefellers who is Passing down generational wealth and screwing <laughs> right, everybody the, along that's the, the way.
1: Opposite, it's the end of the right. Segment, you see right, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah.
0: And so, yeah. So, how okay? How does as an individual? Because honestly, I, I'm glad you said how, what can be done as a community earlier. Because mm-hmm. that means you're looking within mm-hmm. to start the process of solutions versus expecting something from the outside because everything from the outside is going to come with strings Mm -hmm. everything is going to from the outside is going to come with agendas right or 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 be secretly oppressive in nature right Mm right so so what are you proposing man how does how does that person you're speaking of begin how do they put themselves on the path
1: well I think myself and many other people are trying to figure that out as well, um, without having to have, let's say, a complete overhaul of our country um, in terms of the political system, economic system, um, an educational system, and whatever yeah, good other luck. sector. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, th- it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I think we're looking at more realistic examples of that. Uh, and so a lot of that comes to, let's say a more utilitarian approach to taxing and taxation and having a more insightful and more thoughtful distribution of wealth between the state and the individual. So um, you know one of the things that would make a massive improvement into the uh, quality of life and opportunity of life um, in the lower economic, um uh communities is to have basic needs provided for. So this is different what? than like a than like a universally based income but this okay. is would be so from the taxation of the state, that can then be redistributed. Um, they have to allocate what the, their different funds for this, but it would be redistributed so that the disadvantaged have basic needs met, just basic needs, that could be food, water, um, housing, so that they can then spend time and have the opportunity within their day, rather than worrying about survival and being concerned about survival, because that's what the poor, that's what the poor is only, is only thinking about. Like, one thing I've learned in working in the different communities all over the world is that planning for your future is a privilege. You, for you and I, to be able to say, ah, yeah, okay, summer's around the corner. What do I want, what vacations am I going to take? What places am I going to go to? What, um, you know, what, what parties am I going to host, or whatever it is? We have that flexibility and that freedom to think about our future very far in advance, whereas the poor person is thinking about how they're going to eat that night. And then they'll get their food or, or not. And then they'll think about, how am I going to get something to eat in the morning? And then how, what am I going to do today to get $5 so that I can get something else? Now, that's on the extreme end. But now you amplify that to the hundreds of millions of people, even within this country, that are living um, in, in you know, housing that is unsafe and, uncle- and, and not sanitary and not hygienic. Um, They're looking at uh, generationally, you know, children trying to go to school on empty stomachs uh, and trying to learn on empty stomachs. And the science is very clear about what is going on in the brain when it's stressed um, and how information is maintained. um, And basically it isn't. So now you're talking about now you're talking about education. What is the, the education? What is the role of educational institutions in all of this? So to alleviate some of the biggest burdens and impairments for pursuing a a better uh, way of life are things that the poor person has to be consumed with on a daily weekly basis so by alleviating that burden you then are giving people the opportunity to advance and have a some chance of, of upward social mobility now this again this isn't saying that um you know, we're providing welfare on a, you know, salary scale or whatever that is. But we do need to have a, a we need to think about our approach to taxation by the state. Um, and we can go into federal as well, but at least by the state, they have their autonomy to be able to redistribute that wealth. And by doing that, by doing that, the metrics are very clear that when you have more Individuals participating in your economy, your economy is going to grow because now you have people that are going to be looking to, um, you know, start businesses. You're going to be looking at people that are going to want to start ventures. Um, and then that creates, you know, um, contributors to a healthy society. But without that, without that, the poor person has no chance. They have no chance because in this not just individualistic society that we have here that that has to me at least you someone else is going to feel different about that but that has much less of an impact as just the redistribution of wealth you don't have to see you don't have to participate any of that if you want but let the state take care of it through their taxes and reallocating um these these efforts in the in the heart and in the disposition and with the intention of elevating the economy as a whole, like, for example, when, when the poor person suffers, the rich person stays the same, but when the rich person succeeds, the rich get even richer. <laughs> so it's like, it's like a quid pro quo kind of a deal. It's like the the upper class doesn't lose anything. The bourgeoisie don't lose anything by having um, the lower economic um, communities advance just a little bit. I mean, just a little bit. Um, it, it, everyone's better for it. and I think that, that there's a fear there and there's a there's a lack of education there thinking that um, those who have are going to be taken from so that those don't that don't have have something. That's not really the case. It's about um, it's more. so I think about those that do have. Um, allowing the state to reallocate some of the uh, programs that they are currently using versus the ones that are going to be better for promoting um, a healthier and more advanced economy within the state. So that's one sim- That's one way to do it is looking at the taxation and reformatting it to be distributed into programs that are going to be beneficial for the communities um, while maybe um, thinking about what we are investing in and what programs um we are already funding that really are more oppressive in nature because if an institution is not inclusive it's oppressive there's no middle ground here and so the way we work like let's say within let's say within the medical community all right let's Mm look at the medical community and what that does okay so looking at access to health care and um so that could be you know dentistry that could be optometry um, that could be primary care whatever it looks like um people have more access to that than other people and there are medical institutions that are way more outfitted than other ones (laughs) or for example right here in portland there's only one free clinic in the entire city of portland one free Mm -hmm. clinic one This is an area of 3.5 million people, um, and there's only one free clinic. That's absurd. That is absurd. And it's in a very inconveniently located uh, space in town. Um, So if you don't have a car, you're out of luck. If you don't have time from work to take a 45-minute, about hour-and-a-half round-trip bus ride, Um, if you have children, responsibilities, work, whatever that looks like, Um, And then again, you're still paying to go there. So these are the examples of the disproportionate um, opportunities and lack of opportunities that the poor have. And again, this is poor regardless of the color of your skin. We're talking about the economic oppression and what what we have seen, especially in this last couple of years with the pandemic, that wealth gap growing and growing and growing and growing. I mean, it was just last week, right? That um, that Mr. Tesla uh, lost what was it, like a hundred something billion dollars? And is the biggest loss um, in in uh, uh, personal wealth, I think, or something like that. But it was just insane that you can lose that much money and still be one of the top five wealthiest people on the planet. You know, so so we need to look at that redistribution of wealth and how people are not being exploited anymore by companies coming in. Um, Let's see, like South Carolina, for example, Texas, they have all um, (laughs) they have all recalibrated their um, employee um, regulations to be basically oppressive and exploitative so that these companies are coming in there, manufacturing their products and also leaving with their profit all of that needs to be kept within the state in which they are operating from and be given to the people who they are using to produce those products i mean that's what we saw in detroit about 15 20 years ago that's what we saw from um uh, arizona places like that all these car manufacturers that upped and moved overseas for lower wages um and higher profit margins now yeah. we're coming back to america to to globalize the u.s now i mean who was it uh uh, I believe it was Cat. I may be mistaken on this, but it was a a, a big player in the construction uh, machinery industry that used to be based in Illinois that just moved to, to oh Caterpillar, I believe it is mm-hmm. um, to Texas. And the reason why they did that is because it's less overhead, better taxes, and they can pay their employees yeah. less, right? So of course. So so yeah. So when we look at that exploitation of people being given. Um, uh, bad working environments, poor working conditions, low pay um, and high demand or high stress, um, high risk jobs. That's the the that's the inequality that we're looking at here is is where is this money being lost? Where is this money being taken from? Why is it not being redistributed within the communities in which these places are operating? Um, and what role does the state have in taxing that and, and making sure that that money is staying within the state for using. Their streets, their people, their electricity, their water, whatever resource it is, um, and keeping it, um, keeping it within the area mm-hmm. which is, is yeah, which is a community. I mean, this is what we've seen on an international scale, from Ecuador to the Congo, right? Of whatever type of mining it is, um, to whatever type of manufacturing it is, is these countries are the reason why they're being exploited is because of their terrible um, taxing laws and so you know big companies from norway u.s china um, Mm -hmm. go there specifically to exploit that but now it's coming back into the u.s state side look at what south carolina has done um they use that that same language of of better taxes but the the you know subtext of that is they're screwing over the employees and so it's you know we've got to look at like okay um, we're put in a position socially where the options are very dim um, cost of living is absurdly high and people don't have any choice other than to work these minimum wage jobs 12 hour shifts um, you know and being absolutely disconnected from um, participating in the American economy and enjoying the life that We so advocate and preach, but yet so few are actually able to participate in for reasons outside of their own um, doing.
0: There's a lot to unpack there, bro. Uh, A lot. (laughs) um, First off, I'm going to say that uh, with the time we have left, uh, if you're down, uh, I I think a part three is going to be all but necessary. So <laughs> <laughs> I like I like it. I like it. I thought you it's were going ha- to
1: I thought you were going to cut me off there and say we got to end it now, man. This is just not. This is no good.
0: <laughs> no. No, 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 bro. That see that's the thing. That that's the purpose of this show is is that if we engage in real substantive dialogue, mm-hmm. then people can listen to you, people can listen to me, people can listen to the combined conversation and hopefully it sparks new thought for solutions, ideas, etc., and that they can contribute to the solution versus just ignoring it. Right. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing, man. I, I see your heart. I see where your heart is. I am there with you. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, maybe I don't know all the details, but I just doesn't, doesn't the redistribution model, does that, does that not discourage growth and advancement in, of the, in the individual case in point, you know, welfare, et cetera, right? Does that, does that not, I mean, if, if that worked, then wouldn't there be more people advancing further, but it stifles, it seems to me that it stifles the desire to want any more? if your basic needs are met, then I can wait for the check, hang out at home and watch TV all day and not need to do anything. Why would I even think about starting a business? Why would I even, it just, it just, doesn't it just kill that drive or am I missing something?
1: Mm. Well, it, you know, as human beings, it is an individual case by case um, scenario whereby, you know, you can't know particularly what any, one person is going to do with their opportunity but it's Mm -hmm. the it's the idea of there are many people out there that don't even have the opportunity and so it's about creating that space for those individuals to have that opportunity and if they are motivated to um and they are supported to um participate in that opportunity then they can but it's really the idea that the 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 systemic structure is rigged if you want to use that word or geared towards many people not being able to have that opportunity it is designed to exclude many people by by the way a capitalist economy works so what economic justice is only trying to do is to just give people that would never have the opportunity that opportunity that's why Um, the redistribution and developing of economic institutions and educational institutions has all the power. We know from research done in people in um, at-risk societies or in lower-income societies, um, we know how powerful and influential even one person within a family of having a college education can be for their economic prosperity and opportunity for upward social mobility. It's undeniable, I'm gonna plug Ah. you in here, it's undeniable that even one member within a family can, uh, if they're given the opportunity, can be free, can free their family um, from the poverty that has become generational. So, for example, let's say, like, let's look at like a progressive um, taxation for for um, the state where the tax percentage would increase on the, the base income. Okay, so as base income is, increases, the tax would increase along with that. So the goal of progressive taxation is to remedy that economic uh, equality so that the poor are not getting taxed at a higher rate for the same base of salary. Um, you know, and, you know, other people have floated out this, um, and, you know, I'm looking into it as well as this idea of um, like a, a I believe the term is a legacy fund. Um, so for example, Some, you know, some communities and some um, uh, socioeconomic statuses, uh, people in, in, let's say, middle income to and on up, let's say, middle income and up. um, Those. Let's say parents or adults within that family are able to have some type of saving. They're able to build up an equity, whether that's in cars, houses, property. Maybe they got a boat, you know, they use or whatever it is. Um, They're going to have stocks, you know, they're going to have bonds, um, all of this. So let's say, for example, that that adult passes away, someone is inheriting it. Right? Someone in the family is inheriting it whether it's a distant you know cousin or brother or somewhere right but it's but the idea is that is that that wealth is retained. You don't just lose everything and then start from scratch again you that wealth is retained and passed on generationally someone makes more of it maybe it, look, it devalues a little bit but it goes back up again right So the people that don't even have that, the state could have it as a fund where it's like okay. Per family or per members per family or, you know, per uh, dependent on what income you do make as a household. um, This is your fund. This is your fund. Um, And then you are able to do with it um, what anybody else would do with their inheritance, which is most likely make, you know, better investment decisions with it. So there needs to be that's why there needs to be the educational point on it as well um you see people because it's you know look at this for the other end of it right let's take a big time like athlete or or pop star or whatever right they start making their millions and what do we see in their in the behavior of that right houses mm. cars whatever and then
0: it's train wrecks man train
1: wrecks right <laughs> right and so you, so you can see it on the other end too so it's not so it's 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 on both sides, right? So like having millions of dollars doesn't necess- doesn't necessitate that it's going to be reinvested or used properly. It can be just completely wasted. And now you're talking about, and now, you know, you're really going into like a consumption um, uh, situation whereby it could be said that the wealthier you are, the more you consume, you know, people are buying more expensive things um, that take a lot uh, more, uh, that take a more stringent and um, it's expensive manufacturing process. You know, getting those Louis Vuittons from you know wherever, and getting that new marble uh, countertop you wanted or whatever it is. Right. So now you're talking about the industries that they then perpetuate, and the and the burden that that brings on society as a whole. Whereas the wee little um, person um, in the rough neighborhoods of um, Miami, I think you said you're nearby. Right. Like, what what are they doing? How are they, you know, um, uh, burdening the economy if they were just to have a little bit more to help them and encourage them to be on their way? I think there's a big conversation to be had there.
0: Well, we're starting it right here. You know, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, no, you, you know, know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. we're going to do it. Um, so let me let me just ask you something. And, and we'll we'll go. Unfortunately, Mike, we, we did. Is it that time already? <laughs> No, all, almost. It, it we got about 12 minutes at the most. But I just I just find it funny that we got through question 1. That's it.
1: <laughs>
0: wow, wow. Just question 1, man. So guess <laughs> what?
1: You need that uh, thing they've got at the Oscars where like your time is up, right? You start playing the music and you got to get off the stage.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I, I can't I can't throw the hook out around your neck, bro. I can't do that to you. I just like, what kind of host would I be? You know? Um, so, okay. So let me, let's, in the time that we have, so let's, I think we could probably agree, okay, that for us to hope, expect that, a state government, any state government, whenever it's been proven through history to expect them to change something that it's not going to happen. All right. We, we kind of know that. All right. Mm -hmm. In the, when you were referencing Caterpillar moving from Illinois to a, to Texas to for, I mean, is it really exploitation or is it self-interest? I mean, if, Right, as a company, do they want to stay in Illinois, which is just extremely burdensome with taxation and regulations and everything else? Or was it appealing to move down to Texas to where they could save millions and millions of dollars and, yes, get wealthier, of course, right? Self interest, but provide jobs to people down in Texas, etc.? I mean, they're 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 offering people jobs. People are working those jobs. I would imagine with Caterpillar, they probably get paid fairly well. Right. So, you know, we can answer that question later. What I'm leading to is that since we, we, we all, but know that the governments aren't going to change. Politicians, politicians aren't going to change. They don't have the hearts that we have. They don't care. (laughs) All they care about is getting reelected the next time, Mm -hmm. lying to the community to get there, Mm -hmm. promising all these things and never delivering, okay? Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, and we know that that's the landscape we are in, then really, really, doesn't the solution that I think we're both looking towards, Mm -hmm. doesn't that really reside within the individual, Mm -hmm. right? And if so, like, how do we, how do we inform them with, the empowering information and education to rely on themselves to Mm. do what it takes to better their lives? Mm. Or am I missing something?
1: Mm. No, I I like where you're going with it. You know, one thing I, you know, after, you know, I lived in Africa for for quite a while and did work out there and social social justice projects, social development, things like that, uh, post-war peace development um and you know one of the things i I always tell people back here in the states is you know if if hard work was all it took to be a millionaire sub-saharan africa would be full of female black millionaires but it's not Hmm. because it's not just hard work that takes what it takes to make a million bucks to be a millionaire it's not um there's an aspect of hard work that takes that takes to be a millionaire but it's not the end all. it's it's not the end it's not the means um so that being said, though, with this idea of, you know, the self-interest for the for the company, for the for the industries. Right. OK, that's that's fine. Like the, the work in and of itself isn't bad or wrong or nefarious. It's just the form in which it is being realized. So even if we were to move the language from a minimum wage to a living wage, if we were able to pay people a little bit more for those jobs as well, you know, it does have to come, you know, I don't know what there is to say about the business, the business mind shark. You know, Um, we, we, um, we praise and we value these shrewd, you know, hard, um, you know, relentless, merciless business um, type of mentality. Like we, we celebrate that. We love that. Those are the people that, you know, get on the cameras. Those are the people that get treated nicely. And, and those are the people everyone is inspired or modeled to be like. Um, so it's, it's a cultural issue as well. Um, there's, there's countries that have been very successful at making these transitions, Sweden, Norway, uh, Finland, um, France as well, starting to make some changes, Germany and, um, their countries aren't falling apart. Nothing has, has, you know, um, Backfired, and people aren't more unhappy now. People are generally more content with the status of the culture. And so, when we talk about you know black culture and the state of it and what the modern thought is right now, it's that we we want the opportunities. We we don't want the color of our skin to continue being a indicator or a barrier as to what we are capable of doing um, as a community, and so. The individual, as you bring it in, and I'll I'll bring it full circle with this, the individual portion and the the role the individual plays in this is, I don't want to be too abstract with it, but it is Mm -hmm. hope. It is hope. It is hope. Um, And... When you don't have hope, when you when you know you have no chance of moving out of the life that you were born into, as you said, we don't get to choose. If you have no opportunity, realistic opportunity, when you know that the system is designed to not allow you to move upward um, and have chances, I don't blame people for. This. I don't blame people for feeling that heartache and that and that resentment and that confusion and frustration. Um, of why I can't have that opportunity. So I think for the person and the individual, it comes down to having that hope. So we have to create that hope, we have to generate that hope. And by goodwill of organizations changing their modalities um, or making just little adaptations here and there, um, yeah, that's where it's got to be. I mean, the communities can only do so much together. And that's not, I don't think that's fatalist to say that i think that's very real and i love that you keep bringing me back to back to reality through my idealism um but there's got to be hope there for the individual there's got to be hope for that young black kid um down the street that he doesn't have to look forward to misery and crying and um disappointment for the rest of his life that there is an opportunity for them to make something of themselves um but you know in capitalism you got to have capital period. <laughs> if you don't have yeah. capital, what do you do? I mean, right. I mean you know, you know, uh, I'll end with this is on the very grim side of things is okay. There are people that are hustling out there, Brad, and they're hustling by selling their bodies.
0: Yeah, no, I know, you know, yeah, and so I, it's, it's like, okay,
1: how can we, how can we create an alternative? Because I'm pretty sure if you were to ask anyone that's involved in that, in that trade, they would love to have the opportunity to have a consistent, stable, um, predictable um, work and, and wage. But the reality is it's just disproportionate. It's just disproportionate to people of color or foreigners as well um, to have the opportunities to participate in the healthy health economy of, of american life that's that's really that's really you know it so people do all sorts of things people are hustling um peddling you know substances that are illegal risking, risking you know jail time and living a life of crime just because they know at least they're going to get money that day in that moment that they can feed themselves or pay the bills so their kids don't sleep you know in a you know apartment with no lights you know, things like that. So I'll, finish, I'll I'm going to end. I'm going to uh, wrap it up there.
0: <laughs> ah, Sorry, man. I, w- I wish we had more time, but um, I, I, you know, I, yeah, I, I understand hope. I understand the need for that. I understand it. And I think it's really and truly, I don't know, man, it, it's, there, there's so much that there's so much that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that mm-hmm. people like you and I, and more people like us, I, I think, we have the ability to be creative we have the ability to to try to reach others and i i think i think it is i think it is um up to us to at least make the effort to let more people like that know that there is hope and here's how right i mean yeah they may have to utilize some resources and everything to get back on their feet to get there and everything else but I, you and I should map out a, um, we should map out a progression map of some sort, right? Where if you're here, then let's help people think about what's the next step. Because it's not, you're not going to go from here to a great life in one step. You're not going to do it. It's going to be start here, then go up to this. And then you can, and then there's advancement and more hope achieved with every step achieved, right? I mean, so... We can we can empower more people to learn to become more marketable, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. And and I I don't know I, I I hate to say it, but like part three coming. I mean, we got to end. You got to here's the hook. I'm yeah. bringing you the hook right now. I'm bringing <laughs> you the hook. You can no longer speak. Let's do it more. Let's do it. Let's <laughs> so do it. My, oh brother, we're gonna have we're gonna have to. It's incomplete. So. <laughs> We're going to have to, but man, I thank you so much again for the time. Uh, I'm going to, uh, we're going to have to just schedule the next one. That's all we can do. So until next time, folks. See ya. <laughs> all right, Mike. Thanks a lot, brother. I appreciate thank you, you making the time. We'll be talking again very soon. All right. all right, guys. I hope that is it for this episode. I hope that it brought some authentic value into your life. If you did not hear any nuggets that were undeniably valuable to you, then clearly something is wrong with you because you were not listening, right? Or maybe that just means that you want to ignore the problem. Hmm. Hard look right there. What are you doing? I, I asked you at the beginning of the show. I told you, if you're not making an impact with your life, you have come to the right place. If you haven't acquired One idea minimum on how you can start making an impact with your life today after this episode. Listen to it again. Hmm? Go back and listen to it again. Listen to part one and stay tuned for part three. So before you go listen to another episode or maybe repeat this one, right? Pay the toll so we can roll. What does that mean? Share the show. Leave a nice review because that helps us grow so that we can achieve our mission of inspiring the masses to take action. Remember, you cannot become undeniable if you are uninformed. And make sure you always bless up mom. And I'm out.